My, my prayer is that this will never happen to you. But if you were uh, awakened in the middle of the night with the sound of the smoke detector going off. Now, I've had that happen one time. I, you know, I'm thinking uh, it's nothing. So that's not a good way to respond. But, but if you woke up and the house was filled with smoke and you, you, you got your senses about you and you ran out in, into the night, you, you ran outside and turned around and looked back at the house. And, and I would suggest that if that ever happens and you run outside, stay there. My, everything I've heard is, hey, don't go back in the house. But, but if for some reason you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you could go back in the house and you had just enough time to grab one thing. You can make it in. It's going to be safe. One thing. What would you go back in the house to get? Anyone. Just anyone can answer this. Jared. Jared. It's getting ahead of me here a little bit. Jared and child. Come on. Let's, let's be a little more uh, selfish here. What would we go? What would you go back? Safe. Safe. Yeah. Here, here, honey, I'm carrying the safe. I've got to buy a safe that I can go there and get a safe. So, yeah. I'm going to buy a safe. Someone give me something that is worthy of going in it. And then, anybody, someone else said something over here. Pictures. Pictures. Good one. Your wife? Yeah. Good answer. Brownie points there. Pets. Pets. They'd probably be out before us. Yeah, one more back and back. My phone. I can't get believe you guys. If you really thought about it, now that's at the top of all your list. I gotta have my phone. Maybe call one one nine one one. Another one to take a selfie with your house, so you can put it on Facebook. But but here's the reality. Don't don't we know we? You might go back in and get a jewelry box or pictures or hey, come on. Some of you ladies would run back in and get your makeup and hair products. You, when the fire department shows up, you don't want to be looking a mess because someone might come take a picture for the news and uh, pictures. If you've got you know, said set a safe, so maybe you have money or, or valuable somewhere, clothes. The truth is, and some of you answered, so you guys beat me to the punch there. The truth is, if, if you had a family member left in the house, that's who you would go back and get. You would get the most important thing. You would run back in to save your husband or wife. Now, now, if you wouldn't do that, let me know. Call the office. We'll set up some counseling for you because you should want to go back and get your husband and wife. Or you would run back in and save your children or or a pet, which is a, once the kids go away, our pets are our kids. We would definitely go do those things. Everything else doesn't even compare in value to your family. In a moment like that, I think you would have clarity. You, you wouldn't debate as you ran back in the house, do I get my jewelry box? After all, my, my grandma's rings are in that jewelry box, and, and, and the, the necklace that, that my grandma gave my mom is in that jewelry box. Do, do I grab that, or do I wake up my husband? I, I don't think you would debate that. I don't, think you would, I don't think you would run in and say, do I get my golf clubs? After all, I just, I just bought that. Donnie, Jill, you and Donnie might want to talk about this later. I just bought that brand new driver. And man, I am hitting it so well. I've got 15 extra yards off the tee box and I've even developed a little bit of a draw. And man, this is, do I get my golf clubs or do I grab my kids? Uh, it, it, it wouldn't even be, it wouldn't even be a, a, a choice. If we were required, required to check a box on what we would get first, we would mark every time we'd get our family. We'd get our loved ones. We'd get our, our people that we care about. We, we may struggle with lots of decisions in our life, but that one would be marked with clarity. That's who we would get. As, as we continue our study here in the book of Philippians in, uh, 
in chapter 3 today, we come to a passage that, that kind of gives us the sense that Paul had found himself facing a similar type decision, and, and it, it really kind of tells us how he dealt with that and the clarity that, that he came up with and the fact that, that had, been, had he been asked it directly what box he would have checked is what was most important. We see Paul looking back at his life and noting the things that he had accomplished, noting the things that were important to him, notice the things that were valued, notice the things that defined him, noticing what was his prized possession in his life and asking that question, if I had to go back in, which box would I check? Which box would I check? If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We've, we, we've uh, spent two or three weeks in chapter 2 where we buzzed ahead now. To, to chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 7 through 11, and we see Paul, and then hold that open because we're going to back up and read a little bit earlier in chapter 3 as well to kind of get the context of this part, but chapter 3 verse 7 starts this way, Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost. You can see him weighing what was important now, what was important then, and making a decision. Uh, I, can, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything I lost compared to the surpassing greatness, greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. After coming to know Jesus, Paul had a major life change, a major change in the way he saw life, and he came to a, a realization. And in fact, we, we've already been talking about this in the book a little bit, but, but he came to this realization that it's not about me. It's not about me. One of the cool things about about the book of Philippians is that we see the same themes over and over again. And, and not just over again, but it's almost as if they're, they're building layer upon layer upon layer uh, uh, upon each other. And, and today's lessons, today's text is one of those. We, we see Paul painting another layer of, uh, of truth and beauty to what the Christian life should be. Uh, two weeks ago in our Acts 242 group, we started a new study. It was a, it's a, a, a study by a guy named Philip Yancey. And before I put the DVD in and, and, and turned it on, I, I warned my, my group. I said, hey, guys, two things. This is a little bit old. It, it was actually filmed like in around 2000, so it's a little bit dated. And the second thing is when it comes on and you see the guy, you see Phil Yancey, you're, you're going to laugh because he looks just like, and I couldn't remember the guy's name. I said, I'll see if you know, he looks just like that guy that paints pictures and puts a happy little tree over here. Bob Ross, you guys know what it is, right? Yeah, he looks just like Bob Ross. So I, so I hit play, and, and Philip Yancey popped up on the screen, and everyone started laughing. Like, he looks just like Bob Ross. And man, if he had had a palette and, and a paintbrush in his hand, they would have thought, man, this, this Philip Yancey is the same guy. But, but the cool thing about Bob Ross, now, I don't paint. I'm terrible. I have no artistic ability, and, and I'm really not interested in paintings. I mean, that, that, none of that interests me. But I can't tell you the number of times I flipped through channels, came across PBS or whatever station he was on, and saw Bob Ross there with his afro and, and his, his, you know, talking about trees and a little bush and, and all. And 
and I couldn't change the channel. Did you ever, did you ever get that way? Because yeah, it was like, how is he going to get a picture out of what he got, he got on there? He, he, he puts a couple blobs in your, and, and, and he's going to make this beautiful landscape. I'm like, how are you going to get anything out of that? It looks just like blobs. But as he put layer upon layer upon layer, suddenly a picture emerged. And in the end, it was a beautiful lake with trees and birds and clouds and, and all that. It's just amazing to see the layers. And in the book of Philippians, in the book of Philippians, we, we begin to see this. Paul was telling the church at Philippi, telling us today at Troy Christian Church here in Troy, Kansas, that that it's not about it's not about me. It's not about us. So if you get nothing else from today, would, would you at least take the two main points? And this is the first one. We'll, we'll highlight the second when we get there. That it's not about me. He's been talking um, in chapter two uh, already about this idea. In chapter two, he defined for us. Earlier, or in chapter one, excuse me, divine for us the best example of being like Jesus. And last week we talked about identity. Now Paul is getting personal, and he's taking his life and his transformation and the process that he went to and, and his understanding of it and talking about him. And this is this is what he points out. He says, How about how about my religious accomplishments? Verse 7 starts off, says, But whatever was to my profit. It's actually a way of, of, of pointing backwards and looking back. He says, whatever is to my prophet, prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, what was Paul talking about? What was he talking about? He was talking about all of his religious accomplishments, all the cool stuff in, in his way of thinking in, in, in that era, all the stuff that he had done in the past. The book of Philippians is, is like a lot of the other New Testament books. That they, they were written for a purpose, and one of the purposes was to address a problem, a theological problem that the church was having. And, and the church of Philippi was no different than a lot of the other churches. They were struggling with, with a particular problem. There were a bunch of Judaizers, Judaizers, and Judaizers were basically Jewish Christians who, who wanted to hold on to the old way of doing things. They wanted to hold on to, to Jewish law and, and Jewish tradition and and particularly, they wanted to bring circumcision in. If you, want, if, you had, if you were a Christian and a Gentile, you had to be circumcised. And they, they wanted to point out that you had to follow feasts and festivals and laws and rules. And, and, and so Paul was addressing this problem in the church at Philippi. And to do so, he says this. If you have your Bibles, flip back earlier in chapter 3 to verse 2. Now, notice what he says there. He says, watch out for those dogs. Paul does. He doesn't mince any words here. He's not trying to be polite. He's pointing out that, hey, guys, they're, they're teaching you wrong. They're, they're trying to turn you away from the gospel. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship the Spirit of God, who glorify in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, notice what he says next. If anyone else, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, or the law, or following that kind of stuff, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuted church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Now, it, it almost seems like Paul is making the case for the Judaizers, because he's saying, hey, look, look at me. This is the stuff that I used to do. But in reality, what he's saying is, He's saying about those guys, if you want to play that game, if, if, you, want to, if you want to talk about following rules and the law, then, then I can out-trump you. 
I can out-trump you. If you want to compare yourself to me, then he's saying, I'm going to win every time. I've, I've checked all the boxes. He had, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was tradition. That's what, what he would have been. He goes on to say, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. There were, there were two tribes that were kind of, in Jesus' day, highlighted a little bit above the other ten tribes. That was Judah and Benjamin. They, they were held in a little bit higher esteem. So Paul says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. That was the same tribe that the first king of Israel, Saul, came from. So I was I was a tribe. He said, Pharisee? I was a Pharisee. So he said, people like you came to people like me to be taught. I was a teacher of the law. You, you would have looked up to me. Persecutor of the church? Man, when Jesus' followers came, came along and started preaching a, a different gospel, started preaching about Jesus, it was Paul that began to persecute them. It was it was Paul that, that stood by in, in chapter 7 when Stephen was, was, was killed and was martyred. It was Paul that, that took letters out and arrested Christians all over the kingdom. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Legalistic, keeper of the law. Man, Paul took it to the very letter. Paul said to these Judaizers, you, you, these Judaizers, you can't hold a candle to me. I, I, I win every time. But to the church of Philippi, he was saying, you know, if, if, you wanna, if you want an example of following the law, man, look at me. Look at me. Just like I told you earlier to look at Jesus for an example of someone who, who, who served other people and counted other people best. If, if you want to know what it's like to follow the law, look at me. I was the best example of doing it the way. I, of trying to be holy by doing stuff, following laws, making sure I was in the right place and saying the right things, doing, uh, saying the right things, uh, doing the right thing. I was the poster child that if you worked hard enough, you were diligent enough, you were dedicated enough, you, and made sure you checked every box, you would feel good about yourself. But then he says, but. Verse 7. But. Whatever was to my profit. So, so whatever I used to think was important, all the stuff that used to define me, all the stuff that I had great pride in, all the stuff that, man, I just had dedicated my life to, all this religious stuff. And, and it wasn't bad that Paul, in fact, it, it, it made Paul who he was. The, the background that he had in being a, a follower of, of the law and, and being a Pharisee, that, that actually developed who he was. But, but he said, the pride that I put in all of that stuff, you know what? Now it's garbage. The old way of thinking, I put my hope, my trust, my effort, I consider it lost. When Paul came to know Jesus, he began to understand it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. When, when he realized that it was Jesus, he was able finally to take a side. He was finally able to take a side. The pressure is off. Because when you when you try to live and make sure that you're checking every box, man, it is it is full of pressure. It is so hard because it gets difficult. Let, let me let me illustrate this idea for you here this morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna need a volunteer. Someone's got a chance here this morning. I have uh, here. I've used it for. I'm gonna let you do this. I've got twenty dollars. Would you hold this for me? Exactly, but yeah. But if, if someone can uh, can do what I'm going to ask, I'm going to give 
Brody's got a $20 bill. It's real, real 20, right? Doesn't have like the face of Jesus on or anything. Uh, $20 if you can make a shot. Dave, you want? Oh, I thought your hand went No, I need an adult for this one. Okay, Eric, thank you. Thanks for volunteering, right? We're, we're going to see if a case is, But here's what I'm going to do. Well, if he shoots like he catches, uh, my $20 is safe. Okay, I'm going to. You, you stand out right here. I'm going to let you take two practice shots just so you can kind of get your range down. Okay. Uh, now, if you want to know if you make it, one more practice, it doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> Did you catch that one? Got it? Okay. One more shot. You've got it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, boy, that was close. Okay. Okay, so uh, th this is a real one. If you make this one, Brody, show them the $20 bill. If you have $20, it's yours. Right. Make this one, Eric. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Frustrating, isn't it? You thought you thought you and that was on. I mean, that was dead on, wasn't it? You thought you had it, but the target moved. See, that's the problem. See, that was a problem that Paul was living under. When you lived under the law, it's like the target kept moving. Because every time you thought you had all the boxes checked, suddenly you saw boxes that were unchecked. The target got moved. Every time you checked off something, man, I, man I'm doing really good at that. I got this now. And, and by the way, not just the Jewish law, but that the same is true of us. Man, when I think I've got all the boxes checked, I look up and, and I realize, man, there's other stuff that's important too. And just when I think I'm nailing it, someone else comes along and says, well, that's not really important. What you really need to be doing is the stuff over here, the target keeps moving on us when we try to do it ourselves. Oh, if, if, if we could only find a place where, where we didn't have to worry about that stuff. See, Paul explained in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't let yourself be burned again by a yoke of slavery. The reality is, living under the law, living under, man, I've got to do it right every time, and all this stuff perfectly is actually slavery. And Paul said, you know what? All of that, garbage. The truth is, this morning there's two groups of people. Now there's there's subtleties and, and, and shades of gray within all of this as well. But basically there's two people, two groups of people here. There's there's some of us, oh yeah, I better get that 20 back for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh. no, he was holding it out, so I see it. Some of us are like Paul. See, See, we don't live under the law. We know it. We would, we, we would boldly say, hey, I'm not under the law. But some of us kind of live that way. We, we come up with all this stuff that we think, you know what, as long as I do that, then God will be happy with us. And some of us with great pride can say, you know what, I was baptized in the church when I was six years old. Became a Christian when I was, I was six years old. I, 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 I had perfect attendance at Sunday school. Uh, now, did Troy do the, the back, some of you old people like me, what? When you were kids, did Troy do the uh, attendance pins? You got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rick, you got one of those? I, I bet, yeah. But we don't do that now, but man, when I was growing up, when some of us was growing up in church, it, when, when you had a whole year of perfect attendance, they'd give you this pin. And then the next year, if you got perfect attendance again, you'd get another little thing to hang on it said one year, and then two years, and then three years, and then four years. And man, I, can, can you remember that? Can you remember the Sunday when you finally made it through a year of being in church every Sunday? Now, there, there was a little bit of grace there occasionally because sometimes if you missed a Sunday and were sick, they'd let you have maybe one or two extra days. If you went to church 
when you're on vacation, as long as you brought a bulletin back. Now, I don't know. I'm sure there were people that just found a church, grabbed a bulletin, and went on back, you know, to the, the, the water park later. But they turned in their bulletin and said, hey, look, I was there. But I can remember that Sunday when you would get up in front of the church and they would call out your name and you'd walk out there and they'd pin that uh, number five on your chest. And I, can, I, I can remember the feeling. Rick, can, if you're with me, you're, you're looking out there at all those non-perfect attendance people. <laughs> all those twice a mothers. All those people that didn't go to church on vacation. They didn't know all they'd do is grab a bolt and they'd been Okay. And, and, and Greg, wow, man, Greg, I didn't even church. We do that. Or, or maybe we do other things. Hey, man, I went to BBS every year. I made all those traps in BBS. I've got, a, I got those pictures and those little rocks and all that stuff in my, at home somewhere. We, we went to church camp. And, man, once I became an adult, I went to, uh, I became a Sunday school teacher. And then I became a leader. And the truth is, we can look back at a lot of stuff that we do. That's an awful lot like Paul saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I, I was the tribe of Benjamin, and I was a, we, we can look at a bunch of that stuff and say, yeah, look at that. And, and so some of us are in that group here this morning. I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of us may be in a different group. Maybe you're in a group that didn't, you weren't raised that way. You weren't raised in church. You, you don't have that history, and you kind of see it the other way. You're looking like, oh, golly, I didn't do that. I don't even know what BBS is, church camp. What's church camp? Attendance? Perfect attendance? I have no idea what you're talking about there. And, and, and because you lack that heritage, you might be saying to yourself, well, you know what, I guess I guess compared to, to Rick and compared to Tim and compared to other people, I guess I don't measure up. And Paul says, all that, all my religious accomplishments, I consider loss. Now, now he goes on, he talks about religious accomplishments, but then he says, how about my righteous deeds? Uh, in verse 8, he says this, he says, what is more? Now, a, a direct way to translate that would be, would be this, now, would, would be, yea, verily, therefore. Now, that's kind of King James language, but, but it kind of gives you the idea, yea, verily, therefore. kind of gives you the idea, Paul's not saying, oh, yeah, and by the way, he's really saying, now, listen up. Not only that, but I consider everything. I consider all my accomplishments. I consider everything that I've done. I consider that refuge. And the word he uses there for refuge could have been translated a couple ways. He could have literally, it could be translated dumb. Literally, all of that stuff that I thought was so important is, is like, like dumb. Or it could be translated maybe a little bit better way as table scraps. The the leftover food at the end of your meal that you would scrape off into your dog dish so your dog could have something to eat. So, so no value to you, only value to a dog. Paul says, I consider all the stuff I've done compared to knowing Jesus. I compare, I consider it garbage. I, I'm not going to have time to read this, but, but, but mark down in your notes, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, and read through chapter 12, I don't know, about verse 3 or 4. Paul goes through a whole list of things that he had done since, been, since he'd been a Christian. He'd been shipwrecked, he'd been beaten, all this stuff. Because he was pointing out that, hey, he was worthy to be listened to. But even all of that stuff, Paul is saying, hey, that's not important. I consider it rubbish. Everything that points to me is not important. 
See, church is not about us. It's not about what we've done. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about what we will do. Instead, instead, it's about Jesus. So if you get those two thoughts, it's not about me. And if you get that second thought, it's about Jesus. Paul considers it loss. All of that stuff compared to Jesus. Notice what he says, verse 7, he says, for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, he says, the first for uh, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Verse 8 again, he says that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, that I may be found in him. Verse 9, again, through the faith in, in Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. The centerpiece of what Paul is saying is, that is important now is simply this. It's Jesus. And he says in verse 9 that he wants his righteousness. I want his righteousness. What joy there is when we realize that our righteousness doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. That God sees us as if we're right with him. Not because what we did. Because Jesus. That God sees us as justified, just as if we've never sinned. Not because what I did. Not, not good things I've done, but because of Jesus. When I was a young boy, my dad refereed basketball. And, uh, I love to go uh, with him to basketball games that, that he repped. And, and if he repped early enough in the evening that we'd be home, he would take me along. And I went really for three reasons. Number one, I got to hang out with my dad. I'll let you decide which was the most important. I got to hang out with my dad. That was cool. Second reason, I, I love to watch basketball. So I'd go and I'd get to, to watch junior high and, and high school basketball. Some of it was even upper level high school basketball. That was cool, watching these basketball players play. And the third reason, dad would give me $2 that I could buy candy and hot dogs and pop and stuff like that. I'll let you decide which was my most, most valuable reason I went. But, but one of the cool things about going to games with Dad was this. In fact, I, it is so vivid in my memory that I, can, I literally can see the faces of some of the people involved in this. I can literally see the door that I walked through. Because the cool thing is I would go with my dad, and, and we would walk into the gym. If another game was going on and there was a ticket taker at, at the door of the gym, um, Patty, kind of like what, what you do all the time, as we walk in, Dad would come in and they would know him and they'd say, oh, Joe, you're working again tonight. And he would walk in and I would walk in and I never had to pay to go in because I was with the ref. And, and I remember in particular, it's a, a bigger high school, a, a, probably a five or six A high school now in Centralia that dad ref games at it. There was a special place to come in, a door that came in the sideway. Only only certain people knew about that door. You just had to go up and knock on the door and the guy would open it. If you knew who you were, he'd let you in. We'd go to that door and we went to Centralia and knock the door and dad, hey Joe, come on in. I'd walk in and I got to come in that door. And you know, not once did they say, Tim, good to see you again. Glad to have you back. You're refing tonight? <laughs> no, I, I walked in not because of what I'd done, not because of who I was. And I got to walk in free of charge because of my dad. He says there, I, Paul says, I want to know righteousness. Now, now Paul had done a bunch of stuff. He, meant he had worked for God all of his life. But he wanted a righteousness that was free of all that garbage and free of all that pressure. He said, I, I want to know that I don't have to be good enough because he was. I, I don't have to be perfect because he was. I don't have to I don't have to worry if I've done enough because he's done it all. 
He said, I want his righteousness. He said also, I want his power. Verse 10, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what it's like to, to know that power. Paul, Paul would have understood that, that he had worked his whole life. He had, he had put so much effort into doing the right stuff, but always feeling as if he was coming up a little bit short. Now he wanted to know. Now he reveled in the fact that I can know the power of, of, of the resurrection. It's not my power anymore. It's Jesus. Last May, uh, we had our uh, uh, 6K here at the church to raise money, uh, money for our uh, trip to Mexico. Uh, I was walking uh, out on 180th Road. Uh, if, if you know where you out on Last Chance and you turn back to the east on 180th, there's a couple big hills. and we. I was just starting up the... That, that big hill, I was walking with a friend of mine, Bob the Carpenter. We were walking along, and I heard from behind me a vehicle. And I knew immediately what it was. I knew who it was. I knew it was Corey. Corey was in his Ranger, because Corey, the last two years, has kind of driven around the route just to make sure no one has any problems. If someone, oh, like Tanya, falls down, sprains her ankle, he'd pick her up and take her back to church. Or if a kid needs picked up, he'd pick him, pick him up. And, 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 and so I hear the ranger from mine. I knew it was Corey, but I'm worrying about laboring up this hill because I'm breathing heavy, and it was a fairly warm May day, and I was a little bit hot, and I'm struggling just trying to get up the hill. And, and I hear it come up about even with me, and suddenly I'm hit with a splash of water, a splash of cold water. And I glance over, and first I'm thinking, really, Corey? And I look over, and it wasn't Corey. Sitting in the back of his ranger was my wife. And, and a couple grandkids, or a couple grandkids with her, and she was sitting back there. And of course, she had a big smile on her face. And at first, I wasn't sure if the smile was because I she she got me with the water, but 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 I'm struggling to breathe. I'm struggling up this hill, and and I look at Rita, and she's comfortable. She seems rested and relaxed, and she's smiling, and I wasn't smiling. All because she was letting someone else do the work for her. That that ranger was powering her. That's the way to do the 6K. In fact, I'm going to buy a Ranger. I, I want to buy one this year just so I can ride around and not have to walk. But, but when, when you use someone else's power, and that's what Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I, I don't have to do it anymore. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to get it all right. I don't have to stress over that. I'm going to let the power of Jesus work on my life. See, it's not about me. It's about, about him and and finally, he says, the, the last thing he, he says there is, uh, I, I want to share, uh, verse 10, I want to share in his sufferings. What? <laughs> now, I, I can get I want his righteousness. I can get I want his power of his resurrection. But, but Paul, what are you talking about? You want to share in his suffering. Uh, what, what does that mean? Prob probably Paul meant exactly what he said. It's not some cold word to mean something else. I'm not going to try to explain away that. Well, not he's not talking about suffering there. He's talking. About, I don't think that's. I think he was talking about it. I want to share in the suffering of Jesus. The, the truth was, Paul, for him, it was his reality. He had been persecuting the church. Now he was persecuted because of the church. He had put people in prison. Now he was in prison because of the the sake of Christ. Paul said, "Man, I want to suffer like Jesus." So I can be resurrected like Jesus. So, so church, what does that mean to us? Now, now, if I started preaching every Sunday, started talking about we need to pray for persecution. If I started saying, you know, we, we need to pray that we as a church will be persecuted. 
The problem we've been having recently finding seats in the church would not be a problem. After a few weeks that you could have your pick of pews here in the church if we talked about that. So, so what's, what's the application? I think church, if you want to take it, take it this way. Maybe we should want, maybe our prayer should be simply this, that our faith is so strong, that we are so rooted in Jesus, that we are so dedicated to his righteousness and his power that we could stand up and we would stand up under suffering, under persecution. See, it's not about me. It's not about you. In the end, it's about Jesus. If we could come to a place where we would realize that we're not in a competition to be the best, we're not having to fight to get it all right, but that we're part of the body of Christ, simply seeking him and his joy and his freedom. Oh, how great that would be. Kyle Eidelman tells the story uh, about a PE teacher. Uh, had, had a group of third graders that came into his PE class, and they, they played a game, and he just happened to, to observe and then share this with Eidelman. He said they, they played a game. In fact, this is a game that I've played with kids before. They, they tied up. Tied a, balloon, a, a piece of, of string to, to each kid's, each third grader's ankle and tied a balloon to that. And, and so explain what the, the object was. The goal was to pop other kids' balloons and protect your balloon. So whoever ended up, the last person still with their balloon unpopped was the winner. And, and it, it, as you can imagine, it's chaos. He said that's exactly what happened. He said go. And there were kids running over. The bigger kids obviously were, were holding little kids down and popping their balloon. They were protecting their balloon with their foot, and they were running around. And then there were, there were times, by, by, by the time that it was over, there was only one guy with a balloon left. Obviously, it was the biggest kid. There, there were kids in the corner crying because their balloons got popped. There were kids over in the corner who got hurt because someone stopped on their balloon and hit their shin instead. And there was one guy standing in the middle with his hands up, upwards, uh, yelling how he was so great. I, I, I'm the winner, I'm the winner, I'm the winner. He said he, he contrasted that a little bit later in the day. He had another group of third graders, uh, actually several different age groups, that, that were kids that were special education kids that, that all suffered from Down syndrome. And he said they all came to the class. And he said, you know, I'm going to play the game with them. So, so they tied the balloons on, and he explained to them. He took a little extra time to explain to them, hey, this is what you're going to do. You're going to pop the balloon and whoever's last. And, and, and when the game started, immediately he realized they, they didn't get it. They didn't understand because he looked over and kids were popping their own balloons. And when they did, they're like, yay. And, and then there were kids that were popping and the balloon kept squirting off and other kids would, would lean over and hold the balloon so that someone else could step on it and pop it. And when they did, they would celebrate together, yes. And finally, there was only one kid left with the balloon on his ankle and they all gathered around him and together they popped that balloon and, and a roar went up in the class. All of them cheered. We popped it. We all got our balloons popped. He said, what a contrast between the first class where they were shouting and screaming and yelling and, and kids were crying and kids were upset and the second class where at the end they all celebrated. They all raised their hands in joy. Which one do you want to be a part of? Do you, do you, do you want a faith that is about I've got to win, I've got to do it, I've got to make sure it happens? Paul said, I used to do that. But it's like a pile of dung. It's like table scraps that I push in the bowl of my dog. That is worth nothing to do anymore. 
Or do you want, or, or do you want to be a part of a fellowship that says, hey, we're together. Jesus is going to give us power, and we can celebrate the joy and the victory that's ours. See, it's not about me. Paul's been painting this picture throughout the book. You've seen here in three. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, help us to understand, uh, to let ourselves go, to let our, our efforts uh, down, and, and Father, to trust you. Father, it's not about us, and yet we try to make it that way oftentimes. We stress over it. Have we done enough? Are we good enough? In, in the end, we, we, we know we are because it's about Jesus. Father, our righteousness, our power, our faith comes in him. Lord, give us encouragement today to know we're together with you in Jesus' name. Amen.